If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew writes this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so just for the few minutes that we have for our time of confession this this afternoon, I just want to consider two names that we encounter in this passage. Two names, the name Jesus and the name Emmanuel. The name Jesus and the name Emmanuel. If you've done any reading in the Bible, you know that Jesus is simply uh, the Greek word for Joshua. Uh, so Old Testament and Hebrew, Joshua translated into Greek is the word, the name we have, Jesus. And in the Old Testament, Joshua means Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation or deliverance. So when you hear the name Joshua, you think God saves, basically. But when we come here to the New Testament, based on the name that is given to Jesus, the angel tells uh, his father Joseph to name him. He says, name him Jesus. Why? Verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. So he's taking the Old Testament understanding of Yahweh is deliverance or salvation, and he's adding something to it. It's not just salvation kind of out there. It's specifically salvation from sin. So keep that in mind. And the second name we need to consider is in fulfillment of Isaiah seven fourteen. When it says the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew actually inserts what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. So we've got Jesus and we've got Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel in the Old Testament, if we had time, we could go back and look at it. It's basically God through this special child is giving a sign to his people Israel that he is still with them. Hence, God with us. And there's a whole lot more we could say on that. But coming into the New Testament, when we think Jesus, God with us, God is with his people now in the most personal manner possible by dwelling with them in this human being, the person of Jesus. Jesus is not just a man appointed by God. He is a man in whom the fullness of God dwells. He is literally God in the flesh. In real, tangible, touchable human flesh. He has a real human nature, a real human soul. Truly God, truly man. Two natures joined in one person. Never confused, never mixed. 
never changed, but perfectly united in this individual Jesus of Nazareth. So think about this. In this man, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who will save his people from their sins, God dwelt in our midst in a way not seen since the Garden of Eden. Think with me here. Man had not been able to be close to God like this. He had not been able to draw near like this since God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. Consider some Old Testament big people here. Abraham did not have access the way those who were around Jesus had access. Isaac and Jacob never had access like this. Moses and all that he saw and all that he did did not have access like those who walked with Jesus. King David never had access like this. The prophets never had access like this. Even the high priest from the lineage of Levi, who went into the most holy place once a year, he never had access like this. John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, as the old Christian hymn declares, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased is man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us in a way greater than anyone had known to that point. In his book, None Greater, theologian Matthew Barrett has a section where he discusses God's omnipotence, his perfect power at work um, in the lives of two well-known women in the Bible. You remember Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and Hannah, the mother of the great prophet Samuel. Both of these women were barren. They could not have children until God, by an exercise of his mighty power, enabled them to conceive and have children. And so both of these women see God do the seemingly impossible in the miraculous work of enabling them to have children. So Barrett's discussing that, and then he transitions to discussing the incarnation of our Lord through a young woman, a virgin named Mary. And so listen to what Barrett writes. He says, Many centuries later, the same omnipotent care will be experienced by a young girl named Mary. She too will have a son, a son in the lineage of Sarah's son, Isaac. Yet this son is unlike any son before, for he is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary, when first told the news, can hardly believe it. How will this be since I am a virgin, she asks. Sarah and Hannah would have nodded at the angel Gabriel's response to Mary. Nothing will be impossible for God. Where, then is, where there is no room for them in the end, the king is born in a manger. The power of God could not be more real, Barrett writes. A virgin has given birth, and this impossible conception is the advent of the eternal Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet such omnipotence is wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in the feeding trough of animals. No palace, no throne, no scepter. Omnipotence himself is laid upon straw. Why? Because God cares. He cares so much that He sends His Son to be born as a man, suffer and die, so that sinners like you and me might be forgiven and reconciled with God. Only an omnipotent God can do that. 
and he has done it for you and for me. Two points of emphasis uh, as we go to prayer. Um, First, is this baby in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God in human flesh, is he your Savior? Is he your Savior? It's not enough to know about him as Savior. Is he your Savior? Have you trusted him to save you from your sins? Don't doubt that he's willing. Don't hesitate in coming to him. He came so that you and I could be saved if we will turn from our sins and trust him. And he will save everyone who comes to him. He will wash your sins away. He will bring you back to the Father. He will secure a place for you in the family of God forever. And if that is you, if you are here today, if you're hearing this, within, if you're watching, listening, if you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus, then when we pray in a minute, take that time to call out to God to save you and know that he will. Number two, and lastly, as great as the Christmas season is with presents and songs and friends and family and lots and lots and lots of really, really good food, um, and maybe, maybe if it holds the miracle of snow in Athens, Georgia, um, with all of this, I just want to ask the rest of us, what are we focusing on this Christmas? It's so easy to get caught up in all of the stuff. And a lot of this stuff is good stuff. It's good gifts from God. But we do not need to miss that the eternal Son of God took on human flesh to break into the world we live in so that He could grow up out of that manger to a full adult who would obey God all the way to the cross and give His life as a payment for sin. The holidays will end, but Jesus is forever And the hope and happiness that we have in Him is forever. And so as we go to pray, just pray for yourself and your family that with all the stuff that we rightly enjoy, that we would keep our focus zeroed in on Christ, who He is and what He's done. So let's take a few moments, uh, pray silently to yourself, and then I'll close us after that. Heavenly Father, I do pray that if there be any uh, here in this building or listening or watching, God, who has not trusted in Christ, God, that you would incline them by your Holy Spirit to do so even now, to call out to you for forgiveness of sins, for eternal life, for restoration to you. Lord, do that work that only you can do. Lord, give new birth awakening to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus that is irresistible once we've seen it. And Lord, give such a vision, such an unveiling to the hearts of any who are without Him. And God, for the rest of us who do know Him, God, help us to keep our focus on our Savior this Christmas season. God, we are so thankful Lord, for, uh, for this time of year, Lord, we're thankful for presents, for food, for friends, for family, for traveling, for so many things. But God, work in us that even in the midst of all of that, that Jesus would truly be our hope, 
and our joy and what brings us the greatest excitement and the greatest thrill because the Son of God has come. Salvation has come. Salvation has been won through this child that we celebrate in the manger. So God, do that work in us that we would truly keep Jesus central in all things um, over the next several weeks. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.